This is Raw Cut. This is Life Burst. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. Today, a story of a community hero. He made a little chuckle, but it is very true, Gary. You are a community hero and you do so much for so many people in and around the community here in Australia. So thank you for coming in on the show. It's uh, awesome to have you. Thank you for having me. Sharing today. So the first question we ask all our guests is where did life start out for you? Uh, Life started out in Victoria, in a little place called Altona, just out of Melbourne. That's where I was born, of all places. Uh, parents were um, on a farm, basically on a research farm, mm-hmm. and uh, brought up in a farming life pretty much. Most of my junior years were on a farm, so it's good. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember much from that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, bits and pieces. As you get older, you tend to drop off, you know, some of that sort of drops off. But, yeah, bits and pieces. So we moved around a little bit Um with my dad's work, um, he worked for the Department of Agriculture mm-hmm. as a farm supervisor, so he would always be looking for that next better position or whatever to have within that. So as we all do, we all try to um, go better in life, I suppose, in our in our jobs or, or whatever we're doing. So um, he, uh, yeah, so we moved from uh, sort of just out of Melbourne, a little place called Werribee. It was little then. It's huge. It's actually mm-hmm. now pretty much Greater Melbourne. Yeah. Um, to Kyabram in the Goulburn Valley and we were there for a few years and then we moved on to a little place called Walby Up which is still a very little place just out of Oyen in Victoria um, and that was his last um, uh, research farm job if you like I suppose and then from there I went on and uh, did an apprenticeship and left home and yeah, went on from there. Okay so was it a life of the great outdoors yeah. country life for you? Mm-hmm. Um, like I guess yeah, you did most you still went to school and did all the other things you did, but it was part of it was always um, evolved around the farm, if you like. Um, there was always things that had to be done after hours because even though it was an office hour type job, you know, that eight to five thing that the dad always had, you um, there were still lots of things to do afterwards on the farm. So you'd be taken off to help with milking if it was a, the dairy farm at Kyver, for instance, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, um, feeding, uh, dry feeding animals and stuff over the weekends, uh, sheep and, and cows. There was a lot of uh, plot work, what they call plot work, which would be vegetable trials or grain trials and that kind of stuff. So you're often turning, watering, doing you know, like, and it was big irrigation type stuff, not the big um, sort of sprinkler stuff, but more the pipe, pipe on irrigation. So you'd be helping you know, with that kind of thing as well, which is quite good. So, yeah, and you had fun. So as, you, as a kid, yeah. So how did you cope with the moving around so much as a, as a young one? Um, I, I guess you you make your friends as you move around. I suppose I'm, I probably really haven't um, collected a lot of friends along the way. Like you know, I, I find it interesting. I listen to people at work now, and you know, I, you know I've been going out. Like they've been going out with a, a, school, a former schoolmate, you know, and they're in their forties. So the former schoolmates also in their 40s, like, oh, I don't even know any former schoolmates anymore. You know, we've all gone, everyone's gone in a different direction, if you like, I suppose. Um, and being those different towns along the way, you tend to, you know, the first one, I think I went to kindergarten and grade one when we were at Werribee, um, and that was at Laverton. So it wasn't even in the town or anything where we were living. And then Kyabram was um, most of my primary school days, years there, and then one high school year there 
and then I went from there to um, Oyun High. And Oyun High was only there for three years, and I went off to an apprenticeship. So I pretty much was almost my own worst enemy as well. Mm. <laughs> Shifted on fairly quickly. So I would really like to know, what is a research farm? Um, so Department of Agriculture what mm-hmm. was in Victoria. That's what that was called then. So um, they do a lot of... Um, so a lot of research, I guess, into um, what sort of food would be good for sheep, if you like, for and whether it be in a dry climate or in a wet climate, that kind of okay. stuff. Um, what is good for um, for cattle, for instance, so on the dairy farm side of things. So they'd look at um, milk production, um, that kind of stuff, what, if they could get better milk production with kind of what sort of food they could give the cows. Um, uh, lots of different plots so they used to have um, agronomists would come up so they would work for a university if you like mm-hmm. and they would come up and they would you know take out an acre of land or whatever on a five thousand acre or acres hectares if you like yeah. um a farm and um and do all little plots of different varieties of wheats or grains or legumes and that kind of stuff to see how they grew say in a dry climate or a wet climate that kind of thing so mm-hmm. yeah so all sorts of different research went on with that not that i was really involved in that no but your job but you learn, learn, you learn a, a little bit along as you go along mm, yeah watching right. dad and yeah not so much it hasn't really helped me in my garden at all but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know um you do learn a bit i mean i went um you know, later in life, and we went around Australia and stuff, and I worked in a dairy farm, which was a um, uh, it, was, it was a breeding farm. So he actually bred Frisian cows, yeah. and they actually had their own dietitian that would come, and the the diet of the cows was made up by this this dietitian, mm-hmm. and all sorts of different things would come in there, and you would have a, a massive mixing bowl, if you like, and you put all of this gear in this mixing bowl, and in a feedlot system, so you fed it out in a feedlot. So, and that was interesting. That was like another, almost an add-on to what I'd been involved in as a kid, you know. Mm. So uh, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. Mm. So you got to the point of your apprenticeship. Yep. Uh, so what did you move into? So apprenticeship into cooking. Uh, I wanted to be the, the master, you know, everyone's got these high things about it, what you want to do when you're going to school. So I want to be a vet. That was so a was not going to be, yeah, a vet. Okay. Not going to be a cook or anything. Yeah. I was going to be a vet. That, yeah. was, that was my job. Yeah. Um, but... Um, the end of uh, Form 4 or Year 10, as it's known now, uh, my grades weren't that flash um, and I tried in, into Year 11 to, to you know, do this math science sort of stuff and that no, wasn't for me. So uh, held back, went back into doing things like art and um, biology and English and doing some easier stuff at the time and then about um, a third of the way through Year 11, got offered, I'd been writing letters for a job by then, thinking, well, I'm not going to be a vet, I'm going to look for the next best thing. So cooking was my next best thing. Um, really Even enjoyed. though you said you didn't want to do it. I know. <laughs> home Echo, I was really good at Home okay. Echo. Okay, well, okay. I'll, I'll give it a crack. So I uh, got an apprenticeship as a chef in Mujura. So shifted okay. up to Mujura and um, mum and dad set me up in a little caravan in the this uh, chap's backyard and paid cheap rent and, yeah, it was quite good. So okay. did four four years, four-year apprenticeship, did a couple of years um, to do trade school, obviously, with that. So trade school for me was local in Mujura, so my first two years were done locally and they were in a, um, a two-week uh, – sorry, that was a one-day-a-week. Uh, we did that one, a uh, block there. And then um, the third year uh, I went away to Geelong, Gordon Tech in Geelong, and there was a two-week block. So we did three two-week blocks in the third year. And then the fourth year was just all practical. So okay. that's back in the day when apprenticeships were, you know, you did three years of schooling and one year of practical. Yeah. Now it's, right. I think it's four years and you do schooling all the way through 
So um, yeah, so that was uh, that's pretty cool. So you weren't completely thrown in the deep end. You had the apprenticeship and some training along the way. To- some training along the way, which was good. So yeah, had a couple of different places I worked in, mostly around Mildura, um, and then um, finished over at uh, the Kumiela Club, working in the kitchen over there. And um, we, by that time, married, child, born, that kind of stuff had happened, and um, we were up for looking to buy a house. We'd been renting flats or units and things like that, living in a caravan. Decided we'd go one better and try and buy a house. So South Australia at the time were offering um, home loan incentives. So um, we decided to put all our money in over the border. So we once a once a month we'd, we'd had some saved up. We'd come over to Redmark from Wajura and put the money in the bank. When back then you could, there was nothing electronic, so everything was passbook. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you know you carried all your cash with you wherever you went and went straight into the bank. I want to put this in the bank, thanks. Um, and then um, we were given the the green light in the September of nineteen. We come over eighty two. Eighty. Two. Yeah, 82. Yeah. And uh, moved over here New Year's of 83. So, yeah, um, we had six months from September to find a house because they, they gave you a time limit then as well. Right. You can't sit on this for too long. you got six months. So I wanted to give notice where I was, of course, and that sort of stuff. Until we would, we'll leave it go till Christmas before we do the big move. Okay. So, well, that's a good spot to pause, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We are chatting with Gary local hero and we will be back on life bells with matt and sarah straight after this if you like what you're hearing please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app or you can share this on social media this is life bells with matt and sarah we're talking to gary and he skimmed over the part talking about getting married and had a kid and whatever so i'm going to go back to that because i'm sure that there is a story how did you two meet each other um <laughs> she's watching she is that's right so was um, it cooking no oh, no okay. nothing to do with my cooking no um he was just you know banding along as you do as a Young man. Um, what were you like, 20? Just some teenager. different events. Well, only 17, 17. 16, okay. 17. Um, uh, so, my wife and a good friend of hers wanted to do their debutante fall. They both wanted debutantes. So, I don't know what that is. Okay. So, it's, it's supposed to be like the first, um, I think, the first outing that you would do as a, as a girl. Or as, a, or as a young, young lady, lady, if you like that. So okay. it's supposed to be their first official outing, yeah. So what, you like, like dress so up? So you get really? the whole, yeah, the whole gown, the whole deal. You go to a, this this particular ball, which is put on you, normally by a church group, if you like. Yeah. Um. So this was the Anglican, the local Madura Anglican church group put this one on. And you go along um, each week and you train. They, they teach you how to dance. Um, so, you know, you're doing the Pride of Erin and you're doing the waltzes and they're showing you all this sort of stuff. So they teach you too, like teach, the male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They teach, you, the teach both of you. That's right. Right. Yeah. So Deb's friends, Deb's best friend at the time, sorry about the microphone, um, uh, was looking for, so she had a partner, but she wanted to find one for Deb. So her partner happened to be a very good mate of mine and the mate came up and says, oh, I reckon I found you this really you know, really great looking bird, blah, blah, blah. I said, right, okay. And I'm thinking, yeah, you, I don't know about what you're bringing me here. But anyway, he said, um, 
Right. <laughs> my my, uh, my girlfriend's doing her dead ball and um, this other girl's looking for a partner. I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, that's all right. No worries, whatever. So we go along. We we do the whole thing. We do the introduction. So we go down to her place, her, her parents' place, mm-hmm. and um, she had pet pigeons. So she happened to be cleaning the pigeon cage out at the time. So you can imagine in the, her brothers both raced pigeons as well. So they're full of pets and racing pigeons, this cage, this big cage thing in their backyard. And they also had this massive dog that probably stood, I don't know, maybe, you know, sort of three feet off, four so feet like off the horse. ground. Yeah, like a yeah. small yeah. horse pretty much, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, we kind of just you know, bound and got the old knock on the front door. Oh, yeah, Deb's out in the backyard. Go out and say good day. So Jeanette, that was her friend, she takes us out the back and the next thing this massive dog comes bounding up to you, two paws on your chest, pushes you against the house and just wants to say hello. Like, and you're thinking, oh, my God, what is this dog going to do? Anyway, he didn't do anything. Interrogating. Thank you. Interrogating. Yeah. That's right. What like, are you doing oh, here? What am I doing here? Yeah. And meanwhile, then Deb wanders out of the pigeon cage with pigeon poo mostly all over her because she'd been cleaning that up. So she was feeling pretty embarrassed about that, the fact that we just rocked up. And, uh, yes. Yeah. So that was, how we, that? that was how we first met. That's right. So it wasn't wasn't the greatest experience for either of us. But anyway. Was it love at first sight? Um, no, not really, no. We um, we did the whole dead ball, the well, debutante ball uh, mm-hmm. thing. So we did all the training and that was week in, week out for about uh, six or seven weeks before the ball. And we did the ball. And um, then after the ball, you know, um, my mate had a car. So, you know, you do the, the cruise around the town with everybody else and all the rest, and then say goodnight and see you later kind of thing. Yep, no worries. So dropped the girls off at their houses and we went home and that was it. We had a couple of quiet ales as you did back in those days and um, and that was it. It was all over. And then, I don't know, about my mate said to me, have you heard from, have you heard from Deb? And I said, no, I haven't heard anything. Yeah. And he goes, oh, have you, you know, been down the stairs? Go, oh, I've been past that place a couple of times and uh, I was pretty shy. I wasn't going to go make the first Did you drive really move. slow? And just well, I, I used to ride a motorbike at the time, so we used to ride past very, <laughs> oh, okay. very slow. Yeah. <laughs> Do the cruise pass. And then... Um, <laughs> And then uh, this, this out of the blue one day, I was at work and there was a phone call and uh, my boss came in and said, oh, and there's a girl on the phone for us. I said, hmm, how got a girl on the phone? All right, whatever. Okay, so I go answer the phone. Hello. She says, hi, do you remember me? I, um, yeah, I do. How you going? Yeah. And then from then on, we started going out. Simple as that. There you go. <laughs> so and, and then you obviously came love at second sight. There you are. Proposed? Yeah, uh, yeah proposed. Um, <laughs> That was all of the details. All those details. Yeah. Oh my god! No, well, you, yeah. Um, I won't go quite into all the details. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, we got we did that, and then in 1979 we got married, and then in 1980 Matt was born, our son. So there you are. So you don't have to know why. Yeah, you can work it out for yourself. Mm. So uh, yeah, um, and that all happened very quickly, and we were only 18. Right. Yeah. Okay. So only very young. Yeah. Well, Eighteen. Eighteen and nineteen. Right. So yeah. it started with a debutante ball. Yeah. Exactly. Bring back so the debutante out. balls. Yeah. 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 I think, well, I've got a feeling maybe in the country towns they still do. They still do. Yeah. yeah. Before online dating services, yeah. this was the way we met. That's up. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about online dating. Yeah. Tinder's got nothing on debutante balls. There you go. Well, <laughs> so do you think a back. lot of young couples in like Nigeria and stuff ended up getting together because um, of that? There was quite a few actually. Yeah. Okay. It's funny though. You know, we look back a little bit on who got married around the same time we did and most yeah. of those couples were had, had met or had gone out 
at a dead ball, if you like, kind of thing. Um, But sadly, there's probably only two of those couples left out of about maybe 15 or so that we knew Mm -hmm. still together. Yeah, they've all Mm -hmm. moved on. But uh, ours are still strong. We're okay. (laughs) Yeah, 40 something years later, two years. I was going to ask, but I thought (laughs) I better not put you in that position. (laughs) Uh, No, we got it right. Right. Excellent. So kids came into the picture. Yeah, we only had one. uh, Broke the mould after the first one. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, Matthew, he's um, he's now 41. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, then you got to the point where we were up to where you moved from Victoria. From Victoria to, to, yeah. So, um, yeah, 1980, we, uh, sorry, eighty. Two, we came over here, or late 82, 83. Mm. That's right. Um, and um, started looking for a home. We moved into a little flat down at St Mary's and uh, started looking for a home in the hills. We wanted to live out of Adelaide and be able to commute because I was working at, I was still cooking at the time, I was working at Windy Point, a restaurant mm. that had only just opened up when we got here. Mm. So um, that was a real, very new um, that is showing and the whole age. concept was new to me as well. Oh, I'm showing my age now. <laughs> Windy boy. <laughs> that was a very, um, all very new. Um, it's all silver service upstairs and they were trying this bistro system downstairs and stuff. So I was employed as a bistro chef uh, to start with because I didn't know anything about my background because I come from another state and, you know, mm-hmm. they don't. Um, yeah, I went to Gordon Tech, whereas if I'd gone to Adelaide and gone to Renji Park, for instance, School of Catering, well, it might have been a different story. They might have had some background on me. So, but anyway, um, yeah, so worked worked there, and we finished up buying a home at Mount Barker in the new what was the new estate, which is um, uh, under the wedding cake. And if you know the wedding cake house at all, it was up on Hawthorne Road, the big big home right at the very top of the hill on Hawthorne Road mm-hmm. in Mount Barker. Ah. It was called okay. the wedding cake house because it looked like a wedding, wedding cake. cake. Oh, there you go. There yeah. you are. <laughs> now there's houses all around it and you can't actually see yeah. it, so it's yeah. a bit sad. But back then it was paddocks around it and stuff, and there was just a little boff bowl and road. There was a little new subdivision in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we bought a new home there, which was lovely, and uh, back in the days of 18% interest rates and that kind of stuff, which a bit of a killer. But, mm. um, but yeah, um, went from there, from strength to strength from there. Um, the guys that owned... Windy Point at the time owned about eight or ten restaurants within Adelaide itself. So you got that opportunity to move around a bit and do some different things. Um, so I finished from the bistro, went upstairs and did silver service upstairs. And that was a real eye-opener because I'd never, ever done that before. Mm. And that was like you, know, you paint a picture with food right. pretty much and then the waiter comes along and serves it off a, off something that you put it into a dish onto someone else's right. plate. So, so did that what well, was stretching for you, was it? Yeah. Or did it, um, it was. It was quite stressful mm. um, at the time. And, and, I mean, working in the kitchen is pretty stressful anyway. And I always say that a lot of chefs, and I'm, I'm nothing against chefs out there, by the way, but um, they're quite obnoxious. They can be quite obnoxious. Um, difficult to work with. And me being a previous chef, I can tell you that I was. Um, but uh, because I, I guess you have that um, inbuilt thing in you where you want it to be perfect. It's mm. got to be everything you put out. It's got to look the same each each time. So if you put a dish of one thing out and the, and the same thing you're putting out for the next table, they've got to look exactly the same. Mm. And if they don't, then, you know, it's all back on you, so to speak. And the maitre d' is the guy that comes in and gets, throws it back at you and goes, Chef, this is rubbish. Okay. Do not serve this, you know, whatever. So, so you had that happen a few times? You, yeah, <laughs> a couple of times, especially when I was first starting out yeah. in civil service. Yeah, it was pretty tough. But anyway, I uh, went from there then down to uh, Braystead, Braystead Restaurant, which is now a um, ECH nursing home. Okay. Yeah. I am really- On Green Hill Road. 
Yeah, right. I'm fascinated to know more about Windy Point because it is Ooh, such a more really, of Windy Point. Yeah, yeah, but we'll do that straight after our break here on Life Bus with Sarah and Matt. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. You are with us on Life Burst. I'm Matt. And I am Sarah. We're chatting with Gary, a uh, local hero, community hero. You really don't like me saying that. No, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> uh, and we're going to get to that part of the story as time goes on. But Windy Point, and I asked you that question before the break <laughs> because I had a feeling it was there, you were there during a really devastating time in the community. It was, um, it was pretty devastating. We'd actually signed up for our home in Mount Barker prior to the fires and yeah. it was a 30-day period before we could move up there. Um, and we were all, like you are, when you buy a new home, you're all excited and all the rest of it about going up there. And then um, I can't think of what, I mean, I remember, the, remember it quite vividly, watching the fire rolling down at Mount Lofty and we were sitting looking through the wind because there's no nobody in the restaurant for dinner or anything we had still working regardless and we're sitting in standing at the windows in the restaurant because we got you know such a massive mm. uh, yes. expanse of glass to look out of and watching the fire roll down the hill from mount lofty heading towards adelaide basically at the time and thinking and yeah we couldn't get up to the house at mount barker we'd managed to be able to get up there two weeks before because there was dead grass about you know sort of 600 700 millimeters high across the whole backyard mm. that we managed to go up there and get rid of okay. um and i had a little piece it was an odd shaped block at the backside like a little corner piece that we couldn't get there so we're out there with the scissors cutting that there with scissors we couldn't get in there with the mower and thinking is our house going to be there when we get back anyway um uh yeah so watching this fire roll down the hill was quite devastating to watch it's like um, look at this it's hit, it's going for adelaide and it happened to rain it started raining and you just you could see it the fire was rolling down and the next thing with the rain it was rolling going back up the hill back on itself mm. and within you know a few hours it had pretty much put itself out on that that side of the hill it was amazing and it was like oh this is incredible and then of course it was all like you know um it was done the mm. fire was done with you know but it had done so much devastation and i really didn't know a lot of the devastation other than and, and i guess you live in your own bubble a little bit um we were a bit devoted that we couldn't get up back up to mount barker to go and check that our house was okay or anything like that um because that's the bubble that we were in at the time and that was the big priority for us mm -hmm. um but it was all the other things you know and um at a recent and i'll bring something of the future of today in if you like a recent funeral event of a cfs um a mate of mine um he was there through all of the Ash Wednesday fires around Meadows and he was actually the local captain at the time and he felt personally responsible for the loss that all of the locals mm -hmm. in Meadows um, had, had had gained from, or not, you don't gain a loss, but uh, had, had got from that fire and that was the stock and the sheds and the, the tractors and the homes and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, luckily there was no lives lost, but it was all the other stuff and he, he felt he went around and actually personally apologized to every homeowner that he knew that had suffered because of it and he he took that all the way to his grave it's amazing mm. and i read about it afterwards and i was just it really it really shook me i thought wow and i think he had such a vivid memory 
of the whole thing that happened in Meadows. And we weren't even part of that community at that time, you know, and and to, to think that um, what that community had gone through before. Now, yeah, probably there's no one much left in Meadows that was around in that time. Now, there'd, there'd be a handful of people left of, of true local, local people. Now, we've, we're this metropolis kind of a place where there's loads and loads of new people living there that have mm-hmm. never seen that sort of level of mm. before but then you start seeing these other new fires and things we've had around the, the other side of the the freeway if you like from us and i think it does bring it back it brings it back to those memories come back to those people i reckon mm. yeah mm. but uh, yeah interesting yeah right so that was windy point that's a pretty extraordinary experience. It was. It was. It's, it's, it's something that I think I'll probably take with me as well because uh, Len Brooks, you probably, I don't know if you know Len Brooks, you know Len Brooks. Um, yeah, so we lost him last year and um, just the stories that came out of his from his funeral and stuff was just amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so back to your story mm-hmm. and leaving Windy Point, you yep. went to some other places. Uh, so other restaurants within that group, yeah, if you like. Yeah. yeah, so down to Braestead, which is down on Green Hill Road at the time. Um and that was another silver service kind of restaurant there. I pretty much ran that uh, with a female chef down there at the time. Um, she was quite ill a lot of the time, so not there, so I was pretty much in charge of that. And then went from there to um, Torrens Riverfront, or well, then then it became Gecko's, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure if what it's called now, but um, the two-storey restaurant on the down near the, where the spillway is. Mm-hmm. Is that Torrance. the one that, like, floats? Or near is the that golf the course? one on the golf course? Okay. Yeah, near the yeah. golf course, yeah. 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 Um, so I was only there, one there for very long because they kept shifting me and I was still in the same position. So as a second chef rather than a head chef, and I've been putting my hand up going, mm. I'd really like to have a crack at being a head chef. And, mm-hmm. um, didn't get the opportunity. I thought, oh, well, we thought, no, nah, blow it. So um, took off a position in uh, Hall's Gap in Victoria. Right. So packed up, sold up, see you later. We were gone. Uh, went over to Hall's Gap, bought a little six-acre property just out of stall and uh, ran that like a mini farm with sheep and stuff on there and commuted out to Hall's Gap each day for work. I love that. It. It's great. What was that like? Hall's Gap is Hall's very Gap. much a touristy very, place. Very touristy place. So Mujura-esque sort of. So Mujura to me was quite touristy. It was the, okay. the, the, the council was very in tune with what the tourists were about. It was more about tourists and locals, I think, right. in, in okay. at the time. Okay. I don't know about like, today. It's probably different. but And then you go to Hall's Gap and it was very, it's all tourism. There's, you know, um, the locals are pretty much, um, you know, park, uh, parks of wild, wildlife people and that kind of thing. So um, um, water reservoir, there's big water reservoir. So there's those kind of guys there. They're the main locals that were there, if you like, um, and business owners. Mm. So everybody else was just came in and had a holiday. Right. So that was interesting. It was quite good. Um, different shift work as well. So it wasn't, you did, you know, in Adelaide, we were doing lunches and dinners. So you were commuting a lot back and forth between home and, and the job. That was just dinners, pretty much no lunches, which was good. So it was only a one drive to work and then a one drive home again, which was nice. So that was good. Went from there to um, start our own business in stall um, in a partnership deal with a guy and um, that fell, that went pear-shaped for us. Uh, he had a controlling share and it wasn't making the money that he could get at the time. Mm-hmm stock markets and things like that so decided that was enough for him so he pulled the pin on that and we lost a lot of money out of that and had to sell everything again and start again we went off to Horsham from there which is only up the road um, yeah. a little bit and just worked in a pub for a while there and then got an opportunity to go back home to Oyen um, and took on the local community club there so uh, as a it was a lease on the kitchen um, and uh, that was good it was a good good leg up to get us rolling again from there so that we were there for five years until um, 
Mr. Banana Republic told us that we had to have a recession. So, mm. yeah, that was, what's that, 90, 1990, I think, or 90, yeah, 1990. Before and, me. Yeah, Before that's me. it. Before, that's <laughs> right. So, oh, I, I so about it. <laughs> five years there and um, loved it, absolutely loved it. Mm. Yeah. Um, got a lot of, uh, you know, because I was an ex Walpy Up boy, if you like, so I Walpy Up, mm. I went to school mm. and so we got a lot of, lot of local content. We sponsored the footy club at Walpy Up and stuff. So they were in every Saturday night for dinner and, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. It was, it was really good, really good. And and got into that real um, community, a lot of community stuff there. That's yeah. probably what really kicked me off then with being a, a member of the community. So yeah. it was really good. My mum was in the local SES there and nearly every other dog and cat fight that there was, you know, in <laughs> at the time. Um, but, you know, ropes, uh, once the boy came back into town, I was like, come on, join the SES yeah. and you'll really love it. And like, yeah, okay, mum, no worries. So went in there and, yeah, I loved it. it Mum's great. have a lot to answer for. They do, they? that's right, exactly. So, <laughs> so, But she kicked me off pretty much into my, probably my interest in helping the community. Okay. So what was it like being in the SES? Um Yes, it was, oh, it was quite adventurous, I think, okay. if I could say that word. And how old were you as well, by the way, when you joined? Uh, 20, what am I now? Too old. <laughs> Too old. Like 20 Probably or 30. 30. Would have been 30, just 30. Okay. Yeah, yep, yeah. 30. So I just turned 60. So there you are. 30 would have been. Now we all know how old. Yeah, there you are. Now you know how old I know. So uh, that was, um, yeah, that was that was good. Um, lots of different things like um, abseiling down wheat silos. Um, did uh, Coxon, uh, which is you know, the, the um, running rescue boats, that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. So all that sort of training we didn't. So Oyun didn't actually have its own rescue boat and things like that, but it was more about silo rescue for for them. So a lot mm. of the abseiling and, and belaying down down um, silos. Uh, road crash, road crash just gave me my first taste of road crash rescue mm. there. Um, do you remember that? Do you I, remember your first I road do. crash accident yeah, that you went I to? Do. I remember it like it only happened yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that impact you? Um, I guess the impact is that I remember it like it was only yesterday. That's the thing. You, mm. um, yeah. It was a child, which was pretty sad in its own. Um, um, and then you look into the, you, know, you find out some of the background behind what they were doing, where they were going. Um, car hit a train or train hit a car, however you want to say it. Um Parents, um, the divorced parents, so dad had been to see the former wife and picked the child up to take to his house for the weekend and uh, lost the child out of it, So, mm. which is very sad. But, um, yeah, um, but that was my first one and, yeah, it was um, – there was no, it was a bit of, we had to do some work um, to get the dad out of the car um, and that was about it. The child was already out of the car. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's wow. pretty, pretty ordinary. It's, yeah, mm. it's not something that uh, a lot of us who haven't been in the services <laughs> think about. Is yeah. the, is no, the thank goodness it's been the, my only child, yeah. like as in the only child I want to been to. There is mm. yeah. mostly adults, but, yeah, you, still, you don't like going to them. They're not good. Mm. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. That's okay. That's 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 really big. Yeah. We will be back to hear more of Yari's story straight after this on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in one thousand children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them. Go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a raw cut 
Community Service Announcement. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. We're chatting with Gary and the recession has hit and you had to go somewhere else. Well, we, we did. We found that uh, we went from doing maybe 200 covers on a Saturday night to 30 or 40. Mm. Um, we had a staff of uh, eight or nine, I suppose, at the time um, and finished up with a staff of one. Um, wow. Deb, Deb managed to go off and do some nurse training while we were there, which was good, so she didn't have to be involved in the business, um, so to speak. And um, so she came back into the business um, and we had, as I say, the staff of one pretty much and that was about it. So. And we couldn't sustain it, um, you know, like everybody, you've got a mortgage and you've got to, mm. you know, you, you get to that point, I think, where you, we were, we bought a new car and, you know, you're paying that off as well and you know, it just, just became uh, just a bit too difficult money-wise with what we better start again. So okay. packed up in Oyen and moved to Meadows. Meadows in South Australia. Found ourselves, moved back to South Australia. Mm. Yeah, we had a calling. I think the calling was to keep coming back to Met, back this way. So Meadows was a little town we drove through from Mount Barker to go to Moana to the beach, and we remembered Meadows just fondly of that. It was like this lovely little village, you know, just a great little spot. Yeah, let's let's try there. So there was a service station came up for sale. We'd been watching the papers, and um, back then there was nothing online because we were still pre computer age here. So other than you know one of their massive things that took up like the whole of this room yeah um and no one could afford um so uh yeah so back to uh, meadows and um bought the service station and got to know the community pretty much through the service station which, which was good mm. joined the cfs um so that was in 91 joined the cfs in 92 um purely to give something back to the community that had been giving to us the whole time we'd been in meadows so it was good um what was it like running a service station um oh, it had good and bad um good was i think the good was meeting lots of people um mm. particularly locals it was really nice for that we had a lot of really good uh, local client or customers who would come in mm-hmm. um the um probably the the bad side i think at the time the fuel industry was in the like it is today, I think probably in a bit of turmoil. Yeah. Margins were really, really tight. There was nowhere near the sort of margin you were expecting you were going to get when you were, you know, when you were told and looked at your, your previous, the guy that we bought it from, his books and things like that. It was like, mm. yeah, it looked pretty good. But, um, yeah, to, to, to stay competitive um, it meant you had to cut your margins pretty, pretty tightly. So, you know, we made some comparisons at, 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 from time to time and I think we sold um, – we got better gross profit out of selling 600 mil iced coffee than what we did out of selling a litre of fuel right. or, you know, or 10 litres or 20 litres of fuel or whatever it was. Mm. So, um, you know, you got you just did way better out of it. Than yeah. that. So, but anyway, that's that's life and, you know, it's part of how you move on and you, you grow as a person, I think. Um, so, yeah. So you hung up the chef's hat? Hung up the chef's hat yeah. and went completely different. Because I haven't heard of many uh, service stations with silver service. No, there's no silver service here. And there's no chance no to cooking. We didn't do any cooking out of there. It's great. Cooking. It was nice just to not have to worry about pots and pans. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Okay. So you mentioned the CFS joining. Uh, yep. So you've done SES. You've done some volunteering that your mum had roped you into. Correct. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But now you're in a new setting and yeah. you, you wanted to give back. Yeah. So I think um, it's also I think the mum's in, instilled some some of that community spirit into me at the time. And um, and I thought, well, this is something we could, we could do. Um, and so we did. So I gave back and walked into pretty much 
Um, so you could you could bring some stuff with you. Obviously, it had road crash rescue training and things like that. Had had firefighting training and that sort of stuff. So you do a few firefighting courses and learn the ropes as you go along. And within twelve months, I was roped into roped into. I shouldn't say that. Roped into. I will say, <laughs> it, uh, being the training officer. Thank you, Don Fry, for that. And um, uh, yeah, and went from there. Just went from strength to strength. So you know, training officer to lieutenant to, and on you go. Then you become. You work your way up, you become captain and do the captain thing for 10 odd years, which I did on and off, on, on and off um, sort of period. And um, now I'm in that, I'm probably in that good spot now where I can, I'm no longer captain. I hold a senior role as a, as a senior firefighter and I'm the work health safety guy for the brigade and, and I'm happy with those roles and help out with new guys when they come in for, for with their training and stuff like that because the numbers have grown dramatically since the last lot of fires and stuff that we've had. And you, and you do find that you'll find you'll get like an insurge of six or eight new people want to come in and mm. they want to help and that sort of stuff. So when you hold your training, you've got experienced guys doing training, then you've got new guys and you don't want to lose the new guys in the fact that the, the, the level of training you're doing is for experienced guys. So what we finished up doing is we'd split the training. So the experienced guys would go up and then I would take the new guys and we'd go through the whole, you know, um, Firefighter One novel, if you like, or the book, go through that and, and teach them everything that I could do in there and give them that. They still had to go off and do their BFF1 course anyway, but um, give them a bit of grounding, I guess, which helped them then go across. And I've had a couple of guys have come up and said, it was fantastic what you what you did because you really helped us. We understood what they were talking about when they're lecturing us and things like that when we're doing our course. So it's, mm. that's great. So it's been good. That's so for people who don't know the CFS, it's Country Fire Service here in South Sorry. Australia, and is being a firefighter like it is in the movies and the TV shows? No. Okay. No. I'd say no, no. Um, a lot of what I cannot watch firefighting movies because I just find there's just so much baloney what you watch it's like that doesn't happen that cannot possibly happen it's made up you know um things like that so you, yeah i get a little bit cranky when i watch things like that and it's like nah, you know show me something real life here please so no it's not it's not at all um it's dirty it's um you know um you do work with your mates and you need to look out for your mates and that's mm -hmm. what it's about mm -hmm. um and i guess everybody joins the, the country fire service for their own reasons mine was to give back to the community because that's what i wanted to do at the time and i still believe that in myself that that's what i'm doing i give back to the community regardless of what the job is that you go to or the or the role that you take up in the service so yeah. Okay, so if it's, yeah. if it's not like the movies and it's not like on television, no. what is it like then? Um, it's like a bunch of mates, I suppose, getting together uh, for, and we all have a common goal, and the common goal is that we all come home together as we've gone out together mm -hmm. and we get the job done. And it's a job. You go and you get the job done. So whether it be we're cutting a tree up and we're doing whatever it is and you're removing the material off the road and you're clearing the road for people, it's a job and you get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the training. What type of training do you have to do to become a um, firefighter? So uh, there's probably a lot of uh, obvious things like, you know, you need to learn how a pump works, how a pump operates, what sort of levels of water you can push from your pump, what what limitations, I guess, you can get from yourself and what you've got in your hand at the time, whether it be a hose or or whatever, it is, or mm -hmm. a chainsaw, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. they do we do chainsaw training. We do... Uh, obviously road crash training and the, and you are upgraded or you are upskilled as well now every 
um, two years, we do an upskill for road crash. So you kept up with the current trends and things like that. So someone comes along, they do competitions and things, and they try to learn different techniques along the way by doing that. So well, they introduce techniques. So with those techniques, if they prove that they seem to be have worked really well, then they'll bring them back into um, the working environment, if you like, and then they'll, they'll bring that. So that might shorten the amount of time it takes to get somebody out of a vehicle, for instance. It might... Um, it helps a crew get home earlier so they're back to their family and their loved ones and not out for hours and hours and hours trying to figure a different way or whatever you know people are doing this stuff all the time so it's really good mm. and and you know the equipment you know um we are upgraded on a relatively probably uh, i guess if i said 10 years roughly you are upgraded about every 10 years for for new equipment which is good so trucks are about 20 years though they they take a little bit longer for trucks to be upgraded but uh, yeah, that's good. So if there are some kids watching, like little kids who are really excited that they mm. want to be a firefighter when they grow up, or maybe there's some teenagers or even people who are a little bit older, and they're thinking of becoming a firefighter, what would you say to them? Follow your dream. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, follow your dream. Absolutely. Why not? It's 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 like in any any role. I mean, if you want to um, if, if you want to do it a, a, on a community basis, you still would need to be as dedicated as what you would be if you're being paid. Um, no matter what, you've still got to have a certain level of dedication to to the, to the cause, if you like, or or to the role that you that you're playing. Um, it, it's like when you go to work; it's the same thing. You've you've got to be dedicated to the role that you're doing at work. So, um, yeah, but yeah, definitely just follow your dream. Mm. If that's what you want to do, go and have a crack. I thought you've just got a bunch of little kids and people really excited oh, to do them. Firefighters when they grow up. There you go. That's good. I'm going to retire early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, I uh, appreciate what you're sharing. And uh, well, there's more to share. So we'll be back with more of Gary's story here on Life Burst with Matt and Sarah soon. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. We are chatting with Gary here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Gary, you're uh, CFS, Country Fire Service, you're a firefighter. You've just encouraged the next generation of firefighters uh, <laughs> to, to go and join their local community service, uh, firefighting service, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And you are in Meadows currently. Yeah. Are you still there now? I am. We are still in Meadows. Right. Absolutely. So from that time of moving to Meadows to now, what have you been up to? Ah, uh, well, um, we've had uh, two grandchildren. Well, we've had a wedding. Obviously, Matt, our son, got married, and um, we've had two grandchildren. Blessed with two grandchildren, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Uh, Toby's twelve, and Macy is nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Macy was born with cystic fibrosis, which yeah. means that we um, then went into a bit of a spin after she was born, and thought, how can we um, get the word out about CF because we didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and figured that maybe a lot of other people don't know anything mm. about it. So so we picked up and um, started doing a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, so once a year we do uh, what's called a Macy's ride for cystic fibrosis. Okay. And um, so it's a motorbike ride pretty much. We do, you know, a, a morning, a, an early morning session. We head off and we do a morning tea and we have a guest speakers and things and then we do a lunch after that and we have a guest speaker there and have lots of raffles and um auction items and things like that and try and raise as much money as we can. We've raised, managed to raise a bit over $100,000 in, in the nine odd years we've been doing it. Great. Well done. 
we couldn't do last year. Good old COVID uh, shut us down, um, but we did manage to run one this year, which was good. So um, Excellent. we've picked up a really good following of, of regular people. Um, yeah. We have some great sponsors um, with that as well now that have come on board and they've stuck with us right the way through. Uh, we've gone into, you know, um, apparel now as well, so sort of T-shirts and, and all sorts of bits and pieces now and it's got our sponsors' logos and things on there and that kind of jazz. So it's it's really it's been a, a really um, uplifting, I think. Um, I think it's uplifting in the fact that we've had the support that we have and, um, and mm. Matt and Kate have had, uh, Kate calls it her village and she's got a great little support team around her of... of uh, friends, if you like, local friends and stuff like that. So yeah. Meadows is not just that community. It's also our village, if you like, as mm. well. So yeah. uh, you've got that real close-knit um, group of people that you know, look out for you all the time, which is really good. So it, a lot of it's come out of, I think, a lot of real good positive stuff has come out of it. So yeah. we managed to um, donate a couple of tablets to um, the Women's and Kids Hospital out of it as well for um, the physiotherapists. So they do, like, hospital in the home care. Mm-hmm. So they'll come out and they'll actually do pat therapy uh, for C- CF kids, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the the guys were using their own phones with, you know, kids' movies or kids' programs on there so the, the child was distracted, I guess, while they're getting their chest bashed. Uh, well, not bashed, but, yeah, pat therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, we donated a couple of tablets and they managed to be able to put programs on there and then so they weren't using their own phones yeah, right. like for that. So that that was really good. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was a good feel thing for that as well. So yeah. um, along the way of since, um, so I got, um, Citizen of the Year Award in 2017 yeah. from Mount Barker Council. That was my 25 years of CFS, Country Fire Service work, and my, at then, at that stage, was six or seven years of uh, Macy's Right mm-hmm. with Suicide Fibrosis, which mm-hmm. was great. Um, and that's, that was, just came out of the blue. I had no idea um, what was going on. I just got invited to go across for for um, Australia Day and um, sit amongst the crowd with a nice clothes on and, yeah, and then they called my name and I nearly fell over. Yeah. Were, um, were you told to wear nice clothes? Well, I was told. Your father okay. actually told me to wear nice clothes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he was there. Good job, Dad. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, I went yeah, went across there and burst into tears pretty much. I was yeah. a bit of a mess that day. But anyway, yeah. it was great. It was really, really great. Um, so it was just nice to, uh, I guess it's like that, that other thanks from your community, I suppose. Yeah. Thanks very much for all you do. So, um, and then since then, I've joined the local Meadows Memorial Hall committee. Yep. Um, and we've had our with the whole COVID thing. We had a, a pretty torrid. It was a bit of a torrid start for me, I guess, in the fact that um, we could see a lot of money going out, and there's no money coming in because mm. the hall was closed. Yeah. You know, there's nothing going on there. So, so a few changes happened along the way. There, um, we lost a few good people along the way. Um, they couldn't couldn't see a way out with the COVID stuff and sort of thought there was no nothing more that they could do. So they sort of resigned positions and I was left with three of us left on a on a nine person committee, which was pretty tough. Um so put the um put the word out around the place, good old local Meadows Buzz Facebook page and we need your help and um finished up with um a, a committee of nine people again, which is lovely. Well done. Um got uh, some really good people on board secretary and treasurer and I'm on the chair and uh, we work from there um and what about your wife what is she getting up to in meadow oh well she she doesn't do much in meadow she is a member of the cfs as well country fire okay. she's gone back to she was my administrator 
when I was captain at the time, so she did admin for me. Very cute. Yeah. So then she decided <laughs> after I got out of being the captain that she'd go and uh, what we call be a, a baggy. So she now wears her yellows and goes out on, on call-outs and things right. now and loves it. So yeah. How do you feel involved. about that, that oh, your wife that's is great. going out? I think it's great. Think we it both is? joined in, in the same at the same time in 92. Yeah. She joined as an um, associate member, if you like, mm-hmm. rather than a, than a, um, a full-on working member. Yeah. Um, and then uh, through that journey has then become a working member. So I think that's that's true. So we've done the same sort of years um, together, basically doing the same thing and enjoying the same thing. So um, we've got to that stage in our life where you can kind of pick and choose a little bit now too. You don't, because there's so many members as well, you don't have to go running down the station to jump on the first truck anymore because you yeah. know that there's always going to be some yeah, others doing it, so, which is not, it's a nice feeling. So, you know, you're happy to go and sit in the radio room and, and chat to the group officer or the or the guys in the truck about what they're doing and go from there. So Which is the still paperwork. very and very important job. It is, absolutely. It is. Yeah, well, you need all sorts of people in the service, so, mm. so that's good. Um, and then I got Citizen of the Year Award for the Meadows Community last year. So, and thank you to the Meadows again. Community Association for that. So, yeah, too many accolades and I, I, I really... I'm very humbled by it all. I, I, yeah. I, I do it because I enjoy it. I don't do it yeah. for the accolades. I'm not in it for that. I actually get involved because I, I feel a need and I think I can give to yeah. make it to make it work. So yeah. that's what I do. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It really is. What, a, what a life of, uh, yeah, adventure in different yes, things. It's always so. mixing it up and, yeah. and chopping and changing. But, uh, yeah, that you were able to give back and be recognised for that. Mm. Hence the word hero that you've been laughing at along the way. Uh, local, local hero. Uh, so, Gary, if uh, if you had an opportunity to look back at life, and we've got a wide variety of people watching, listening, uh, if you had one piece of advice that you might offer them today, what might that be? Uh, I think I'll go back to what I said before. I think just follow your dreams or, or, or follow um, yeah, follow your dreams, I think. Um, I... I've done a lot of things, I guess, um, in the community. I've done a lot of things as a person. Um, I've had a lot of different careers along mm-hmm. the way. So I went from, you know, cooking to I've been a, um, a hydraulics specialist. I've been a, I've worked in the forest, cutting, uh, carting log out of the forest. I've done all sorts of different things. I've washed cars. I've never stop. Uh, you know, you're always looking for something, I guess. And, and I guess if you can't find it, keep searching because it's definitely there. I guess if I can say that, there you are. There's, there's my one little well thing. Done. There you go. Excellent. You did it. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Thank, Thank you, God. Gary. Thank you so much for having me. Thank appreciate you for it. coming in and sharing a verse of your life with us today. No really appreciate it. And you can catch up with more Life Bursts uh, online, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, and, of course, on Facebook and YouTube as well. You can watch this whole interview. Uh, This has been Life Bursts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.